The following is a paid presentation on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. If you have any questions about mortgages or real estate, give us a call at 521-TALK. That's 521-8255. Oh, it's another beautiful day in the studio, all alone without my friends. Good day, Mr. Uh, Rushforth. Good day, Mr. Napolitano. Buongiorno. Buongiorno, and I hope, I hope we're down to the final strokes when it comes to you being alone in the studio, Steve. Why are you getting rid of me? (laughs) You know what? We're looking forward to getting back in the studio. I mean, it was nice to see Paul this week again. I mean, I've only seen him twice since COVID hit two and a half years ago. I saw him at the uh, real estate board golf tournament, which was awesome. Uh, Pretty decent turnout. And uh, again, they do some good work. The realtors, uh, the realtor board here does some good work uh, to raise money for charities, which is awesome, which Paul was a big part of. Yeah, Frank was actually one of the major sponsors. He was a cocktail sponsor. And, uh, yeah, we ended up raising $17,000 for Realtors Care, uh, which is awesome. So yep. Now, what is Realtors job. Care, Paul? Uh, no no clue. I know they do a lot of good things, though. I know it's probably a, a care foundation that gives to a lot of different charities. I know when I was with Keller Williams, we did that as well. We had like a, a KW Care uh, Committee, and they, uh, you know, we raised money for a bunch of different charities. And I'm assuming that's the same thing. But regardless you know it's for charity, which is which is, doesn't really matter where it goes as long as it's going to charity. So you were both in the tournament, and I don't hear any rings of winners here. No, well, Paul golfed. I didn't golf. It's only a nine-hole. I, I, you know, I think they do it basically. It's an opportunity after three years to get the realtors back together and face-to-face, and it was nice. I mean, I was only a cocktail sponsor, so I showed up for the cocktail portion, which I enjoy the most. But, <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was nice to be able to see some realtors that I haven't seen in two and a half years because of COVID. It's funny you say that, Frank. It was actually really, really nice to see some people that, I mean, I, I haven't been in production for a while, so I don't see a lot of faces as it is. But even when some of my agents that were there with me, they're like, I don't recognize anyone. And I'm like, how do you not? You do deals with these people. And we're like, no, we don't do anything face-to-face anymore. Everything's done by e-signature. So it was just right. nice to see some, some fellow realtors, uh, some guys I've known in the industry for years and years and years. And it was just good to see some, some, some good people and raise some money for charity. And yeah. It was a nine-hole uh, golf event, one, nine and dine. My team did finish second. Oh, okay. Uh, so, you know, just uh, not that we kind of like Frank did in my tournament, finishing second. You know? <laughs> Clearly, your son wasn't on your team. Yeah. Actually, I golfed with my son this week. He was minus one after 11 holes. He double bogeyed 16 for a 75. Like, wow. Wow. The kid can golf, man. Wow. He was. I would get up there and I'd crush a ball down the middle, and he'd be like forty yards past me. He was killing it past me. He's already a better athlete than his dad. Go figure. Well, obviously, obviously adopted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're yeah. talking about e-signatures. Are there any agents that don't use that anymore, Paul, or is everybody on it now? I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's some more old school agents, potentially maybe even some old country agents that may not be doing e-signature. And and realistically, there are some clients that don't do e-signature, some elderly that, that don't have emails, don't do e-signature. So there are times where we still have to get actual signatures, but e-signature is absolutely the norm. And when e-signature first came in, I thought it was going to be a bad thing at first because you didn't, you lost that connection with your, with your clients, right? Because everything's done by, by a quick little blip of a, a mouse. Uh, and so I thought we were going to lose that connection, but clients love it because, oh, you know, yeah. Mrs. could be at work. Mr. can be at a different work. And, you know, we, we email it to one click, goes to the other click, comes right back to us within seconds. So it's just, 
it, it's a time saver. It's efficient, uh, and it's it's something that's been in for a while now. And I'm assuming uh, that you know most I, I, I would estimate ninety nine percent of agents are using e signature. Oh, yeah. It's awesome for people though. that are separating. It's, oh, for sure, it, it is the best. <laughs> Not for that sure. I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah, but, but see, Steve, I still remember the days where I would go, you know, meet the misses in Canada, and then go run over to Leans to meet the mister to get that signed and then run back home. And then like, it was just, it was a, the, the process oh, yeah. just, just to get it. And it, sometimes it was just an initial. And well, and then when you're so, going back and forth, forget about it. Right. It's yeah. It's it, when you're going back. So we used to have um, a thing called a legible copy. So what would happen is every time we faxed back and forth or email print, but mainly it was faxed back then when you faxed back and forth, eventually that copy was illegible. You couldn't even, it was all smudges. So yeah. you actually had to do a legitimate copy after that. And uh, so those days are gone, which is nice. Can all your business be done online too, Frank now? Pretty well. I mean, online applications are typically uh, now accepted by everyone. Even some of the older people are okay going online. It takes them a little longer. I mean, an application for us generally takes five to seven minutes, but some people have said it's taken them 15 minutes and only because they get confused they don't put things in the right order and uh but apart from that uh it's accepted i've i've uh, i've started to meet with clients face to face again i mean it's certainly maybe 10 or 15 percent of what i was doing before covid where i met pretty well with everyone i still like to meet with customers i mean if i don't get the chance to meet with them face to face at the very least i want to have a zoom meeting versus a phone call and get to know them a little bit better uh, you know it's all part of the when you're lending money and when you're lending somebody else's money, which we do, or lending the banks and or lenders money, you know, I think you have to do your due diligence and get to know who the person is. And uh, because in essence, what you're doing is you're sticking up for them. I mean, their credit bureau on their job obviously dictates whether they get approved. But at the end of the day, I mean, your recommendation, the fact that you're sending it into a lender for approval also holds, uh, you know, holds some weight as well when, uh, you know, as far as the lender's concerned. So. Yeah, I would think like that personal context a must, right? I think so. Um, you know, lawyers obviously have to get two pieces of ID. Uh, and, you know, and I read an article this week where lawyers, you know, they're talking about the law society making e-signatures, uh, you know, the way that it is now, you know, c continue it. I mean, lawyers don't necessarily have to meet face-to-face -face with clients. They can do the e-signatures as long as they have some kind of a video contact with them. So... Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if that changes as maybe we do get back to normal. I mean, we're not quite there yet, obviously. We're not in the studio, and people aren't working back at the office yet, but if it does come to that, it'd be interesting to see whether anything changes. Lawyers, um, lo most lawyers now are back to face-to-face -face meeting, which is awesome. I mean, I mean, I didn't close on a house during during a pandemic, so I didn't know, what, you know how it went process-wise, but uh, it's nice now. I mean, I, I closed on my new house and sold my old uh, my old house, and, and it was nice going back, going in to see the lawyer face-to-face, uh, -face, getting the paperwork. It, it was good. The only thing that lawyers, um, some lawyers haven't gone back to is it was always the lawyer's job to collect the keys. So the seller would the day before when he went to sign with the lawyer, would bring the keys to the lawyer. Those keys would get couriered over to the buyer's lawyers. The buyers would get those on closing. During COVID, lawyers were like, sorry, realtors, that's your problem now. You guys deal with the keys. And it was it was tough. It, it was tough because we were leaving lockboxes on doors till closing, having to remember to go back and get lockboxes. And some lawyers have still continued to be the lazy way and leave this up to the realtors, which is not our job. I mean, yeah, but it's cheaper for the client, right? You don't have to pay those courier costs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where well, you're talking peanuts, though. But yeah. a lot of times, a lot of times now, we'll do either garage code. You know, maybe we like, for example, in my house, I left the inside garage door open. 
once my house closed, they gave the garage code to the buyers and the buyers were able to go through the garage and, and get into the house that way too. So that's another way that lawyers would do as well. And probably the easiest, most efficient way as well. Yeah, well, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, they want to keep they wanted to keep some arm's distance back then. But like you said, now it should all be back, right? It should be back. I mean, that, that's the lawyer's role. That's the lawyer's job. I mean, they're, we're not asking them to do some of our jobs. So, I mean, I, 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 I believe most lawyers are back to being the responsibility of keys is now in their hands again. Speaking yeah, of back- some, some lawyers, though, say that the realtors make more money than we do, so they can deal with the keys. So, again, <laughs> it's just, you know. It's getting tougher and tougher, yeah. I'll bet, though. <laughs> yeah. A little tougher to sell a house now. It is. It is. But you know what? We saw a decent week this week. You know, the active listings are still starting to climb. There's 3,640 on the market right now. When you factor in rentals, there's 4,300. So there's, you know, there's, there, we're starting to get a few more properties on the market. Uh, saying that the rental market is starting to pick up. There's a lot of people who haven't been able to sell their property. So what they're doing now is they're renting out their property. We've had a few cases this week, you know, where the people said, you you know what? I'm just, I'm tired. I just, I want to rent it out now. I need to move on. I need to close on my new house. So they're renting those things out. A lot of price decreases. There's 329 price decreases this week. Um, but there's still loads of inventory in the market. The new listings by week had a slight increase. Actually, the sold properties by week had quite a large increase and the average sale price remained pretty much flat. So we're teetering. By the time this month ends, I, fig- I figure we're going to be close to about three and a half, maybe even four months of inventory, which will, could push us into a balanced market. But like I've been saying over last bit um there are some areas that are in a, in a slight balance market some are in almost like a buyer's market and there's a lot of areas that are still in the seller's market so a bit of a weird market it's um we're, we're kind of going into the last probably four or five months of the year in a little bit of the dark not sure what's going to go on i mean frank will tell you september 7th i think they're they're, they're raising or they're not again frank probably half a point boy right now the bond market is is telling us that it might be as much as three quarters of a point i mean obviously as as we get closer to it we'll have a better idea uh you know the bond market went down stayed fairly stable for a couple of weeks and tiff macklem uh made a little announcement earlier this week and spike it did so went up 30 basis points now uh we haven't seen fixed rates go up because well when they went down to 40 45 50 basis points the banks didn't pass any of that on to the consumers so now that they're back up they're just leaving the rates the way they are so uh but you know we do expect probably half a percentage point i'm, I'm pricing in at least half a percentage point might be as high as three quarters of a percentage point so for those that are invariable again tough tough call for them because they're going to see their payments go up again unless they're with td or manulife every other bank or lender has what's called a true adjustable mortgage and a true adjustable mortgage means as the rate adjusts so does your payment uh, but TD and Manulife have, have what's called a variable rate mortgage. And again, we got to start getting our terminology right because uh, they're the only banks that have a true variable, which means that when the prime rate changes, your payment still remains the same and just the mix changes. So for some clients, they're opting to go to one of those two lenders because and on, on an increasing, when the rates are going up like they are right now, you'd rather be in that, you know, especially if it's an investment property because you don't want your payments to go up. You've already budgeted for what they are. But so, you know, so, from, so basically, you're basically what's changing there is your interest compared, compared to your principal. So, right? so you're paying less principal, more interest when the rates do that. And the amortization goes up, right? In turn, yeah. I mean, that drives the amortization up. So, And they have a target rate within those mortgages too. If you hit that target rate, then the bank will notify you your payment has to change now. But you know, when, you know, if the recession does hit and we start to see prime come down, Again, the uh, you know you're better to be in the one that your payment changes because then your payment will go down if you want. So, 
It's, it's going to be it's going to be crippling. I mean, if they raise it three quarters of a point, I mean, we're already seeing the rates have, have basically put a halt. Well, not a halt, but let's say a let's say a little slowdown on the real estate market. Another three quarters of a point, and you're now priced uh, first time home buyers right out of the market. Right um, out, they are already, aren't they? And they are already, but it's not the real estate that's priced them out now. It's the interest rates that priced them out. So you know, it's you know, everybody talks about the you know the rates or, or whatever the values of homes being up. But we saw even earlier this year, the values of homes were up and we we're still doing business because the first time home buyers were still buying those homes. Yeah. What what's really has knocked them off and knocked the investors off too, because the investors are looking at this saying, we can't even come close to cash flowing this property. Why would we buy it at this point? Why do we want to be seven, eight, nine hundred dollars in the hole? There's only so much we can get in rent on this property and the, and the payments just don't match it. So, uh, you know, both those sectors are out of the market and, and that has impacted obviously what's going on in the real estate market tremendously. We're going to see another down month when the end of August numbers come out, they're not going to be pretty again compared to last year because last year we were still booming at this time. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be easy. That's where you need no. creative people the next few months. Yeah. No, Hey, real quickly last week, I talked about nostalgia festival. It's coming up this week. Uh, got uh, about a dozen uh, emails from, uh, from listeners who, uh, who request the free tickets and, they're set aside, so we want to do the same thing again this week. So go to nostalgiafestival.ca. Mortgage Brokers Auto and Advanced Mortgage Investment Corporation are the major sponsors of it. Great musical festival with some of the best cover bands in, in uh, the country playing at it, at LeBreton Flats. And uh, just send me an email. Let me know you're interested in two tickets, and I'll set them aside for you. Or call into the show and you automatically Yeah, call into the show. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. Which is 521-TALK, 521-8255. Could be a stretch, though, Frank. You already gave them to all 12 listeners. <laughs> we'll be right back let's see <laughs> we return to open house the real estate and mortgage show on news talk 580 cfra 521 talk 521 8255 steve gregory with mr rushforth and mr napolitano hey frank what percentage of your income goes to mortgages these days well, uh, so the you know the criteria is set pretty black and white for most lenders, especially if you're buying with less than twenty percent down and you're default insured. Uh, you know, you take your gross income, and again, it becomes real difficult if you're self-employed because for self-employed, unfortunately, it's your net income that's used. So that's where it becomes a disadvantage if you're self-employed. But if you're a salaried employee, uh, full-time employee, then it's your gross income, and a total of 39% of that income can be used to qualify for a mortgage or for the property, which includes the mortgage payment, tax, property taxes, and heat. And if it's a condo, half the condo fee. So that's the maximum. But that number could be lower if you have outside debt, because including the outside debt, it's 44%. So if your outside debt you know, accounts for 10% of of uh of your income, then you can only you're only allowed to go to 34 percent on the mortgage and the property taxes and the and and the heat and the condo fees. So, you know, it becomes difficult when we're having to qualify our clients at the contract rate that they're getting plus two percent. So, you know, if you're taking a fixed mortgage and at least with 20 percent down now, they're at four and a half, which is pretty reasonable. But you're having to qualify at six and a half percent, which is real difficult. Hence, why we're getting and I don't know if you've seen this, Paul, but we're starting to get young people calling saying, 
I think we're going to buy our best friends are in the same position. I think we're going to buy together. The four of us are going to buy a house together. And at least we've made a deal where for the first five years, we'll live in it together and we'll build some equity. And then hopefully five years from now, we'll be able to separate, you know, separate the, uh, the proceeds of the home and be able to individually buy homes, uh, you know, as a couple. So it's interesting to see that that's happening because it's very common in Europe and in some places in the U.S. where prices are so expensive that you see that. It's interesting to see it come here to Canada. I would, one thing I would say, and I've gone through this with two good friends, I would make sure that you have some sort of agreement in place with that. If that happens, you have to have it because I'm, um, I'm sell, I, we we sold a investment property to two of my friends that went in on it together and one wanted out, the other one didn't, and we had to sell it and it didn't go very well for them. So I, I believe they've lost some money in this investment, which is not what you want uh, and so i warned them i warned them i said if you guys are getting into an investment together you need to have something in writing what happens if someone wants to get out what happens if someone goes through a divorce what happens there so you need to have a contract in place that should be drawn up if you are ever buying a property with a friend or friends uh, yeah and yeah, if you're you doing that to, to get ahead you, if you're doing that to get ahead you better count at least five years right Oh yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't buy in the next year. I mean, the other thing too, one thing that we're running into right now is we've had a couple of people who have called us said, you know, I just bought six months ago. I need to sell. And I'm like, Ugh. Ooh, you know, yeah. I have one, I have, I have one gentleman who actually called me on the guarantee. He wants a guaranteed sale on his property. The problem is he paid X. It's yeah. now worth X minus. And you know, now you factor in commission and lawyer's fees. He's going to potentially lose anywhere from 50, 70, a hundred thousand dollars on this deal. So it's, uh, those are the one, those are the people. And I've, I've warned my team. I said, guys, we, I mean, we've helped people buy some, some homes that, you know, with, with prices starting to flatten a little bit, some areas are coming down a little bit and they call you to sell. We're in a little bit of trouble at that point. And then I can, I can guarantee there's a lot of realtors around the city who are in those tough spots right now, trying to help people who they put into a house, you know, three, four, five, six, even a year ago, and prices have started to, to, to soften a little bit. So that, and that will happen. It definitely will happen. And it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame if you have to sell. If you're a buyer right now, Paul, you mentioned that some of the areas you can get some better deals than others. You got to talk to a good agent and find those areas, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. Because there are some areas that are still bidding war. Uh, you know, prices are skyrocketing. And then there's other areas. I mean, I'm not going to mention any areas because I don't want to, you know, discourage anyone who's who's selling or buying in those areas. But, you know, there's some areas where I've seen, uh, you know, townhomes that used to be in the sevens that are now transacting in the low sixes, you know. So you need to know your area. You need to, if any time in history, you need a, a, a proven, reputable, knowledgeable, smart, adaptable realtor, it's now it's absolutely now because it's uh you know it's it's a, it's a very tough market to sell and realtors are definitely earning their keep in this market when they're trying to sell properties because if you're not market marketing and advertising and having a good social media game and marketing platforms you're not selling in this market so it's, it's back to being what real estate should be where realtors earn their keep um you know to do a good job and even buying in this market it's a little bit more palatable because you have more opportunity you have more choice you have more comparables um but saying that, you have to know what you're doing on the buy side to position your buyers in the best light. How do you know you've you got always, a good agent, though? Yeah, you always need a good... Listen, Paul, I know you're saying now, it's it's important now. It's always been important to have a good agent. This is your yeah. biggest purchase you're making, and you need to make sure that you've got somebody that knows what they're doing and has done it well. 
representing you. And I don't care what anyone says. You know, uh, you know, you, you hear people in a market like we just went through for two years. Anybody can be a realtor. Yeah, but how many people maybe paid more than they should have because they didn't have the right representation? How many people sold for less than they should have? They still got good money in their eyes, but maybe a better realtor may have gotten them more. How many people didn't go with a realtor and think they did well because they saved the realtor commissions, but maybe lost thirty, forty thousand dollars when it comes to, uh, you know, what what they could have gotten it. It's amazing to hear, you know, that some people just because of the commissions don't won't go with a realtor and they don't realize what it cost them. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five. Back to talk more in minutes. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back with Paul Rushforth and Frank DiPolizano. To the phones we go and say hello to Eddie. Hello, Eddie. Hey, good morning. So a question for Frank. Um, as a self-employed person or just someone who doesn't show a lot of income and has to go to a, a consistent income, has to go to a B lender, um, would it be just as hard to qualify to, like if I sold and purchased another home, uh, as it would be to refinance the house that I currently have? Or would it yes. be is one well, Same criteria. It's the same. Your qualifications are the same. Even with B lenders, the only difference with B lenders, they've got more flexibility on self-employed people. Some of the B lenders will use your, will ask for your anywhere between six months to 12 months of bank statements, and they could gross up your income. So they could use your gross income versus your net income that you show on your tax returns. You know, those are advantages of going to B lenders. You'll pay a little bit more, and it comes with a lender fee, but you know, it's the only way to get in because the traditional lender, the banks, won't lend to you. So if you want to get into the real estate market, then that's just the cost of, of, of having to get in if you're self-employed. And, and you gross, your gross income is, is healthy, but your net income isn't because the banks will use the net income. Some banks will gross up your net income by 15%, but that's nearly not enough depending on what you do. But, so would it be just as hard to qualify? Like, let, let's say if I was borrowing the same amount on the house that or like refinancing for the same amount as I would be borrowing for the, for another purchase, would they not see like refinancing as a little bit of a less, uh, a little bit of a lower risk or is it all the same? No, I think it's all the same because they're going to ask for an appraisal of the property anyway. And believe it or not, I mean, when, when you go to B lenders, it's very important. The appraisal becomes even more critical because uh, you know, that's in their eyes, they're taking some elevated risk uh, that tra- that the traditional lender isn't taking. So the appraisal of the property holds a lot more weight than it would through a traditional bank. So but, you know, when it comes to qualifying, it's the same thing. The risk level is going to be the same for them. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to refi your existing home, you know, for six hundred thousand, it's an eight hundred thousand dollar home where you're going to buy an eight hundred thousand dollar home and, uh, you know, ask for financing of six hundred thousand. It's the same thing for them. The risk level okay. is the exact same for them. What about porting and getting a mortgage for the difference, Frank? Uh, with uh, with a lot of the B lenders, they don't necessarily allow you to port. Uh, but in some cases, I've seen exceptions where uh, where, the, where they will allow it. You know, in your circumstance, depending on where the rate was when you originally got it, if you want to refinance, how much time you have left. Um, you know, we can go back to the lender and determine whether port is an option that they would uh, you know be willing to consider. 
Um, just another question. Like they said that if I had converted the basement, like it was kind of um, kind of halfway done, I'm converting it into a rental, uh, renting, being able to rent the lower uh, level. But uh, I didn't, I didn't think of asking like if it was done as a uh, in-law suite or an actual legal duplex. Is it the same to them for? Wow. Um, for, for the lender, borrowing. well, the appraiser, and I would ask, you know, I would probably get Paul involved in this, but I would think that if it's illegally, you know, bound, then if you do it legally, then obviously the value will go up much more significantly than if it's just an in-law suite that doesn't have its own entrance or exit. So, uh, but Paul, what do you think? I mean, I, I would think that if the renovations are done and now it's a legal duplex, the value will likely go up. Well, yes and no. I mean, yes, it allows you you know, looking for duplexes, that obviously has a lot of value. Certain areas aren't, people aren't looking for duplexes. Um, and if it, if it cuts off the house in a weird way, then there's no value there either. Yeah, usually it brings up the value of the property if you're, if you're especially if you're using it as a, either a, uh, you know, a live-in with an income potential or even an investment property with two tenants. So it, it's, it's a needle in the haystack, though. There's not everyone looking for, for duplexes, live-in duplexes. More people are looking for rental duplexes, like two, two people moving in. But I mean, from the from the lender's perspective, what's the difference with a in-law and a and a duplex? That's what I'm legal saying. legal rental income, in their opinion. Like an in-law suite means your in-laws are living there. You're not necessarily generating any income, and if you are generating income from a family member, they don't necessarily count it. Now, B lenders again are much more liberal on that, where they will consider somebody living there and paying you rental income even though it's not a legal entity itself but from a lender perspective again if it's a if the unit is is legally you know severed then all of a sudden you can use the rental income to qualify where if it's just an in-law suite you know it's an exception to use the income uh, because generally on in-law suites it's family members that are living in there not necessarily somebody else okay got it okay thanks Eddie Paul, are we going to see more and more people trying to convert their homes to be able to rent portions of them, do you think? Oh, I mean, as, it's, as it becomes unaffordable, I, I believe so, yeah. I mean, there already are people doing that who are uh, – some people are doing it illegally, though, where they're just trying to generate some income and they're putting people in the basement, not making it a separate entrance or a legal duplex or, or legal, even a legal triplex, something like that. That's trouble uh, for insurance, though, isn't it? It is trouble. It is trouble. And you open up a can of worms. I mean, there's a lot of liability on you in that scenario. Um, but, you know, if you're able to, you know, have a separate entrance and it's fire retrofit and you're able to call it a legal duplex, uh, then, yeah, there's there's a lot of value in that. And there's a lot of people doing that. I mean, it, you know, as interest rates spike and prices spike, I, I think that, you know, people are looking for extra ways to make some money. And then that's that's one way that that is, is attainable. Yeah, and I think municipalities, though, maybe have to adopt what's going on in Europe and other countries, because in other countries, you know, it's it's pretty well accepted that you're taking in borders or you're taking in someone to live in, you know, your basement, and you don't have to go through all the complexities of making it illegal, you know, uh, uh, legally bound. But you notify your insurance company and you say, hey, listen, I've taken in, you know, two people that are living in my basement. So, you know, from an insurance standpoint, you're covered. Uh, and then it's just a matter of, you know, the difference is that you're opening up your whole house to these people yeah. and, and they have access to the rest of your house. So that's, you know, that's the part that some people struggle with. But, you know, I read a stat this uh, uh, this week where 30 percent of Canadians live alone. I, I, I mean, I think that, you know, that in itself is a story because 
housing being so expensive, it's really tough for a single person to afford a home on their own. Yet, you know, the statistics came out and I don't know if, you know, the same people that did these stats do the unemployment numbers or something, because it seems high to me, but, you know, they made the comment that 30% of Canadians live alone, which which sounds crazy to me. Hey, you know what? Not surprising. A lot of baby boomers are kicking it, you know, and they're left as widows or widowers now. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like a high number. It just feels like a high number. I don't know. Maybe we're sheltered by where we live, and because I don't know a lot of people in my neighborhood that live alone. I think my home or, or my neighborhood is filled with two, three, four people. Yeah, but all your so. friends are Italian, Frank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know the other thing too. I don't know. I don't know that I read it a while ago, so I can't remember what the number number was, but it was quite high. There was an X amount of percent of Canadians that said, with the way prices are going, if the interest rates go up any more their house is no longer affordable. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of people right now who are right on the verge of living paycheck to paycheck. And you know, their, their, their mortgage is the biggest, one of the biggest expenses. And they're saying, if that goes up even anymore, they're not in a fixed mortgage. So if that goes up anymore, they're in trouble. Well, that's that's why I'm saying, right. If you got a big house and you're only two people in a house and you've got a three or four bedroom home, you know, you rent out a portion of your home for a thousand dollars a month, and all of a sudden it's affordable again. So, yeah. but finding the right people to move into your home—that's always going to be the challenge. As it is right now, though, I just read an article that said people need sixty-four percent of their income now to cover their mortgages. Sixty-four percent—way wow. too much. Because wow. I mean, last I checked, I don't know. Most people are taxed in the twenty to thirty percent range. That doesn't leave a lot for anything else. If that's the case, yeah, no kidding, right? So, yeah. Now, listen, I want to ask you about that purchase plus improvements. If it's if it's a viable option, Frank, if you're buying a house and you want to convert a portion of it to rent out, would that qualify? It would qualify. Again, uh, you know, some of the insurers have, have limits as to how much you can use. Uh, so, in other words, some of them have, you know, maximum, you know, $50,000. Other ones will have 10% of the value of the home that you purchased. Another one will go to 20%. But everything needs to be. So, the interesting part is that people call me and say they want to do this. But they don't know their numbers. They think we think it'll. Oh, we lost like, you yeah. there. There you go. Try oh, there. Go again. Yeah, Frank. you have to. You actually have to have quotes as to the work that's being done for us to be able to to process that purchase plus improvement approval. So, you know, it's not we think it'll be about eighty thousand. You actually need to do the work, get a contractor in there to give you the quotes for the work that's going to be done, and then that gets forwarded to the lender slash default insurer. For them to review it and to let us know whether at that point uh, you qualify for it. And at the end of all that, would that help if you're if you're trying to get a mortgage? Would they consider that you're making that improvement to rent out? Would you be able to? Of course, of so you... course. But keep in mind, I mean, default insurers only use fifty percent of the rental income. Right. So again, it becomes a little tougher to qualify. Nonetheless, it's it, you know there's something there. If if you've got a lot of room within your income that it works, uh, but if you're doing it specifically and you're already tight on your income to begin with, and now we're only using 50% of the rental income, that's where it becomes a challenge for some people to qualify. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out more and more creative ways to get people into housing now because you've got to really think out of the box, right? It's it's starting with municipalities though, right, Paul? I mean, municipalities need to loosen the red tape, get rid of the red tape to build properties and look at opportunities where, you know, building those small houses on your property, maybe open that up a little bit where, you know, you can, you can get a house built, a a smaller house or, uh, you know, one of those mini homes on your, uh, on your property line and be able to rent it out or have your parents live there or have somebody live there that's legal. 
they're already i read an article it might have been yesterday uh yesterday morning i can't remember where it was from what 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 station it was from but they've already passed something to loosen the red tape a little bit for builders which is awesome if if they can start doing that and allow builders to build more and get more shovels in the ground i think that's going to help immensely i gotta tell you guys just before we go to break i was very disappointed because the the timeline has come and gone to put your name in for city council i thought you guys would be in for sure I, uh, I, I was hoping Paul would do it. Well, Paul's I, halfway there. He's got the signs. <laughs> well, yeah. The, the the problem is I don't want him to dig up any skeletons in my, <laughs> in, in my past. So I, I don't think I can run for that this year. 521-8255. We'll be right back. We return to Open House, the real estate and mortgage show on News Talk 580 CFRA. Welcome back. Paul, we were talking earlier about uh, making sure you get a good agent. Now, obvious, other than the obvious answer, which is to call you, how do you find, <laughs> yeah. how do you know you got a good agent? Reputation, signs, um, asking the right questions, asking about their metrics, um, social media, um, you know, search engine optimization, Google, uh, there's, I mean, most people know, I mean, you, you, you don't have to be blind to see whose signs are in the ground and how many signs are out there. And, you know, do you see them a lot on social media? Do you see them doing videos? Do you see them, you know, at the top of the Google searches? Um, but what should you, what should you look for in a pitch? Let's say you got two agents that are coming in the same day to want to sell your house. Well, the biggest thing is, is where are you marketing? How are you marketing? And what are you spending on your marketing? Um, you know, what are you going to do to get my home sold? What are, what are your metrics? Uh, how many homes have you sold in the last year? How many homes have you sold in my area? Um, what's your days on market? How close are you getting to asking price? Uh, the, the problem is the first question someone asks is, what's your commission? Yeah. You know, and I always say to them, that's the wrong question to ask because commissions are relevant. What's, what's relevant is what I'm putting in your pocket. So, you know, if, if, if you find someone who can do it, you know, 1% cheaper than me, but I could put 7% more in your pocket. Are you really winning with that 1% cheaper? So don't lead with the question, what is your commission? That's the worst thing you can do because there's a lot of agents out there that'll do it for, for cheaper. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, I spend a fortune on advertising and marketing to get you top dollar, right? So I would rather do that. And they're like, well, you know, if you do it cheaper, can you cut a few things? I don't want to cut a few things because that's my reputation. That's my job. I'm, I'm telling you what I'll do for you and how I'm going to get your home sold. And you want me to cut what I'm going to do for you just to make it cheaper. I, I'm not doing my job in that aspect. So I, I just, you have, you have to, I mean, and let's be honest, there is, when you look around in, in, in all areas, there's some, there's some leaders in the industry in the city of Ottawa and they're no, very, very noticeable. And those are the type of agents that you know, are doing the best jobs to, to market and advertise and get your home sold. So it's, it's not hard, but you need to ask the right questions. And like I said, don't lead with what's your commission lead with, what are you going to do to get me top dollar and the more money in my pocket? Any such, any such thing as an area specialist anymore? No. And and to be honest with you, you don't want an area specialist mainly because an area specialist only has the budget to market to that area. So let's just say I'm an area specialist, area specialist in Frank's area in Stittsville. Well, I'm spending all my advertising, my marketing on the area of Stittsville. Well, how do you know the person who's buying that house is moving from Stittsville, right? So we do broad-based marketing because I don't know if that buyer is coming from Canada, is coming from Barhaven, is coming from downtown. So I'll market to all those, all those areas 
is I want to find the right buyer for that Stittsville home. So, you know, the, the, the worst thing you can do is say, I want to list with the area specialist. Well, yeah. why, why you're, you're cutting off half the market when you're doing that. So, it used to be so, a thing though, right? It used to be, it used to be a thing. It used to be a thing. You know, Hey, Peter Jones, I see your, your signs everywhere yeah. in Canada. I'm going to list yeah. with you. Well, the problem is, is, does Peter Jones know every other area yeah. in the city? And does he have buyers from every other, every other? Yeah, you want a real estate specialist, not an area specialist. You want a real estate specialist, and you want someone with a very good database of healthy buyers. Not, I have all these now buyers, and I'm going to get all these homes sold. But, <laughs> but, but you want someone who is connected and someone who has a lot of buyers to help get those homes sold for you. Hey, Frank, I see you still can get a, a mortgage at under 5%. Yeah, um, insured mortgages today are in the four and a half to four and three quarter percent range, depending on your circumstances. So, you know, rates have come down a little bit. Certainly, under four, under, for, under four for a variable too, right? Yeah, under four, but that's going to change obviously September seventh. So we'll be in the fours for sure come September seventh. But uh, uh, again, I mean, it's uh, you know pales in comparison to just six months ago when we were in the threes, low threes on a fixed mortgage, and you were into the twos when it comes to uh, to a, a variable rate mortgage. So, um, if you know, you're getting just, a mortgage today, you're going variable, right? I think so. But again, I mean, some people are scared to go variable because they're seeing what's happened over the last three months with prime rates and they think that's going to continue. And, you know, it's hard to, to convince someone that, uh, that that's going to stop. I mean, they think it's going to continue forever if they, you know, if they, you know, and if, if they feel that, then they're better off to go on a fix because the last thing they need is to worry about this every night going to bed. And nobody's going 10-year anymore, right? Well, the 10-year rate is high, and I think it's crazy. Yeah. Unless you think that rates are going to stay at this pace forever, then go the 10-year, but I don't think it makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Birthdays? I got a few, actually, uh, big listener of ours and always, always uh, giving us comments. Mike Carchetto celebrating his birthday this coming week, so happy birthday to Mikey. Uh, good friend Ruth Katana celebrating her birthday, and uh, Waldo Mike DePaolo from Rivera Homes. He's in Sardinia, Italy, right now. He keeps he's been texting me pictures all morning. His beautiful wife Ornella. This is her last day in her fifties. Tomorrow she turns sixty. So happy birthday to Ornella! And, and she's biggest, still going to be your friend after outing her? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and uh, my parents. So my parents celebrated their champagne anniversary yesterday. They were married in 1961, and it was their 61st anniversary yesterday. So happy anniversary to my mom and dad. Awesome. Um, I just have one. I said it last week, but yesterday was my dad's 80th birthday, and so we are celebrating up at the cottage as I get off here and having some fun up here. Nice. Awesome. Happy birthday to Doc. Doc Rushforth. Frank N. at MortgageBrokersOttawa.com. Paul at PaulRushforth.com. Have a great week, gentlemen. Thanks. Have a great weekend. Please continue to support local businesses and charities, everyone. The preceding program has been a paid presentation on News Talk 580 CFRA.